All right, take your Bibles, if you will, this morning and find John's Gospel, chapter number 3. John's Gospel, chapter number 3. Find that place, if you will. Have fun, Sarah. <laughs> if you hear noises outside, banging on the walls, kids singing and laughing, don't worry about it. They're having a good time out there. And uh, don't wish you were out there. Just be glad you're in here. Amen? <laughs> Makes me feel bad. Everybody wants to be outside. All right. It is getting warmer in here. If it gets too warm, let me know, and uh, we'll pray for you. But we will probably turn the air conditioners on later on for the Spanish services. Will's going to heat up this afternoon. We want Pastor Jorge passing out. <laughs> he gets... It's, uh, he's, what is it right now? 70 degrees. We'll, we'll survive for the next hour. If you need a Bible, my wife's there. My wife's on the job. Thank you, sweetheart. She married me for my looks. I married her for her brains, charm, and everything else. Amen, sweetheart? Now the looks have gone, Brother Keston. I don't know what's left. John chapter number 3. We've been studying the, the Gospel of John. We've been looking at the sevens that are found in John's Gospel. Uh, we looked at the seven. Again, this is like we've been two weeks break. We had the last month was Mother's Day. We preached a Mother's Day sermon. The week before that, we had our missionary to Cambodia with us. Uh, Anybody can remember how to pronounce his name? <laughs> Madlang Angwa. Madlang Awa. Madlang Awa. But, but pronouncing proper pronunciation is Madlang Awa. Born and boys, good to see you all. How's everything? Good to have you here. So we look at these sevens. We finally pick it up after a few week break after that, but we're looking at John's Gospel chapters, uh, the sevens that are found in John's Gospel. There's seven miracles recorded. There's seven I am's of Christ. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Uh, we looked at the seven conversations that the Lord Jesus Christ had with individual women throughout there. We have uh, looked at the, uh, the, the, the seven questions of, of uh, Pontius Pilate. And now we're looking at the seven men that are mentioned in John's Gospel. Now, these are not the, there's seven disciples that are mentioned, but we're looking at seven men who are not disciples per se, seven individual men that the Bible mentions. Sometimes we have conversations with them. Sometimes there's no conversations, but they are mentioned nonetheless. We, and the seven men that we looked at, we looked at John the Baptist as the first man we see in the Bible. And then we come to the second man that's mentioned in the Bible as found in John chapter number 3 and in verse number 1. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. And said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of the water and of spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and now hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? Verily, verily, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know, and testify that we have seen and received, and ye receive not our witness. If I have told you earthly things and believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man ascended up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is condemnation, that light is come to the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil, hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. Father, bless this time that we have. Bless all that's going on. The children outside, help those who minister and work out there. And those downstairs with the young people there, we pray, Lord, that you'll help those young children to learn the gospel, learn about Christ, and to fall in love with him, that they may avoid a life of sin and heartache, and know only the joy of serving you. We pray, dear God, for us who are here in this hour, in this service, that, again, Lord, you would speak to our hearts and that we would be drawn closer to you. I pray, dear Lord, that, again, you would help us understand the gospel and the simplicity that is found in Jesus Christ. May we be encouraged and challenged and, and, and drawn closer to you, for it's in our Savior's name we pray with thanksgiving. Amen. There's a lot in here, and we are not going to begin to even attempt to get it all done today. We will scratch the surface and then... Do some more next week and the week after and see how long it takes us to get through this chapter. We're in no hurry uh, to get through Bible truth, uh, especially important doctrinal Bible truth as we see here. And uh, so we see, the, first of all, the, the introduction to this vitally important chapter. And here in this chapter, we are first introduced to the idea of the new birth as mentioned. We see the person here whose name is Nicodemus. And the Bible in verse number 1 lays out a very clear idea of who this man is. It's very important to understand verse number 1 if we're going to understand why the Lord Jesus Christ says the thing he says in this chapter. Everything our Savior says uh, has a purpose. And anytime he addresses somebody, the conversation has to do with who that person is, where they are, and their intellect, and, and what, how they think. You saw this with the woman at the well and how he addressed her and how he dealt with her. Always with a skill for precision and, and, and dealing so that he can get to the heart of the person to draw them to the saving knowledge of himself. With Nicodemus, the conversation takes a different plane because, again, Nicodemus is a highly intelligent human being. We know this because, first of all, the two occupations that Nicodemus has. We are told, first of all, that he is a man of the Pharisees. By the way, his name Nicodemus means victor over the people. It's a Greek name and it was a common name that was found in that day. So if you study ancient texts and things of that nature, you will come across many Nicodemuses in that time. I had a guy the other day, he gave me his phone number. He said, now put down there in your phone uh, who I am and uh, that I am Jennifer's husband because you probably got a lot of angels in your phone. I said, I do. I have like several angels in this phone. So angel is a very common Spanish name. So if I'm going to text angel, I make sure I text the right one. So I use clues in my phone to let me know who each person is because I may forget. So I'll have like a Jen's husband. That will help me. Okay, this is who this guy is. Sometimes I'll have in there, you know, electrician or this one. So things to because I'm not as smart as I never was, so I need these things to help me. Amen? You folks are intelligent, and you don't understand that, but I do need help. So again, he's a Pharisee here. He's a Pharisee. And again, 
when we think about these Pharisees, again, we always have a bad image in our mind because of what the New Testament has to say about the Pharisees. But the Pharisees go back several hundred years prior to this when uh, after the Jews came out of captivity uh, and they went into captivity because of their idolatry. And when they come out of uh, captivity, they want to make sure that their nation does not go back that way again. So they form this group known as the Pharisees so that their, their nation avoids idolatry. So they stay straight and they stay true. And anything that man usually starts, it starts off well, but eventually ends up going into left field. That's how things always work. And the Pharisees, the same thing. It started off well, but by the time we get to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's a very corrupt organization filled with very powerful and uh, politically motivated men, men who are interested in power, greed, and money, and a lot of other things, except really what they should be involved in, which is the cause of God. Now, Nicodemus is a man, and he's, the Bible says nothing bad about him, and there were good men amongst the Pharisees. Don't get the impression that every Pharisee was a bad man. Again, we use that term today. We use the word Pharisee. It always has a bad connotation with it. In the same reverse word, as I've always told you, the Samaritan in Bible days was a bad term. We think of a Samaritan today. It's a good word because we think of the good Samaritan. They were hated people in Bible days, and so Christ, to turn that around, wanted to make sure that you know you can't judge a person simply by their birthplace or their nationality. You take men as individuals and who they are and, and treat them as such. And so Samaritans today, we think, yeah, the good Samaritan. Pharisees, bad. Well, again, take them as individuals, and Nicodemus is not a bad man. He's a very religious man, very devout. He knows the law. He knows his Bible. He, he's very thorough in how he lives his life. He is a separate man. He, he keeps his life clean. He's not immoral. He tries to do right, and he's holding on to that sense of religion and, and, and him doing things to attain favor with God. That's his mindset. That's his lifestyle. And he approaches the Lord Jesus Christ on this evening. But the Bible also tells that he was a ruler of the Jews. And when we see about this, what he was, he is a, a man who was of the, uh, the Sanhedrin. And the part of the Sanhedrin is almost like being a judge. You had this group of men who were in charge of laws and, and making sure laws that were obeyed, and if, and if somebody broke the law, you, they were punished by these, these, this group of men on the Sanhedrin. So when we think about Nicodemus, the Bible tells us these two qualifications about this man, and what we would learn from those two things as a Pharisee, and as a, a ruler of the Jews, a member of the Sanhedrin, is a highly intelligent man, he's a very moral man, he's a very religious man, he's a very well-respected man in his community. Everybody who sees him, knows him, look up to him, they admire him. And so he is a, a well-rounded, a well-outstanding man in the community in this part of where we find him. And so we really can't say anything bad about him. Uh, and he has a wonderful resume. But the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing who he was and, and, and knowing everything about him, is going to deal with the main issue that Nicodemus has and, and helping him. And I want us to notice a few more things about him. He says in verse number 2, And the same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. I want us to notice the manner of the, how he inquired about him. And, 
And unlike the other Pharisees who approached Jesus Christ, who were always looking to trap him in a question and, and, to, and to trick him and, to, and, and find fault in him, Nicodemus was not that way. Nicodemus comes here, and Nicodemus is generally, uh, he, he's, it's an opening icebreaker, so to speak. There's more going on in his mind that he wants answers to. When he approaches Christ, he's, hey, we know you're a rabbi, which is a, a term of respect. We know that you're, you must come from God. Now, again, he doesn't think he's the Messiah, but he knows there's something about him because Jesus is doing these miracles. And, and so this miracle has, off, has stirred questions among the Pharisees. Well, who is this man and, and how does he do miracles? And we know that some of the Pharisees say, well, he's a Beelzebub, he's of the devil. That's how he does these miracles. And, 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 but Nicodemus thinks, you know, he, he has to be coming from God because Satan wouldn't do these miracles. And these, these miracles must be coming from God. And, and so he has to be a, a good man. He, he has to uh, be from God somehow. And, and maybe it would be a good thing if we approached him and find out about who he is. And so he's unlike the other Pharisees that we meet in our Bible. But he calls him rabbi, which is a polite term again. But Christ is more than rabbi, which means teacher. We notice again we, how he talks to him here and, and how he approaches him. Now, I want us to notice something else here. The Bible says how he came to Jesus by night. And I want to just a, a minute on that thought. I've heard a lot of preaching in my times. And oftentimes people talk about Nicodemus coming to Jesus by night. and say, See, he was, he was a coward. He was afraid. He came at night this way. Nobody else could see him. And, and that's why he came this because he didn't want to lose his position and job. And well, Again, we don't know that. That is you reading into the text. Don't make the Bible say something it doesn't say. Now, that may be true, but we don't know it to be true. Again, Nicodemus has a job. He works during the day. He's a Pharisee, and he's part of the Sanhedrin. So he is a busy man. And so maybe this is the only time he has. But I want you to notice one thought. The Lord laid upon my heart this week as I was studying. The Bible says in that verse, the same came to Jesus by night. I want you to center on the phrase that he came to Jesus. He came to Jesus. He didn't avoid Jesus. He didn't ask about Jesus. He didn't ask others about Jesus. He made the effort to actually approach the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't care if it was at night or at noon, or the afternoon, or whatever hour of the day, the fact is that he came to Jesus Christ. My friend, it doesn't matter when we come to Christ in our life. Oftentimes people say, I wish I came to Christ when I was a young person, and I wouldn't have all these things in my life. My friend, you don't worry about those things. You worry about the fact that you did come to Christ, no matter what hour of the day of your life it may be. You know, we think of life as a clock and, and, and the early hours of our early childhood. And then we start approaching in the, as the clock winds down and midnight is the, the hour where we all check out. Again, it doesn't matter what time of your life you come to Christ. The, the point is you came to Christ. And the Lord lays out that parable in the Bible, by the way, that we all get that penny at the end of the day. No matter when we started, we all, we all get heaven. I, mean, I don't get more of heaven because I came to Christ at 10 years old versus the person who came to Christ at 50 years old. We all get the same heaven, amen? I'm not getting, I'm not getting a bigger place. I'm not, rich, I'm not living in, 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 in Glen Ridge on, on, on Ridgewood Avenue in the big house while you're over there in the little postage stamp house. No, we all get, Christ is preparing a place for us, amen? And uh, I don't know how much I'm going to hang out in that place, but I... And my wife says, you can hang out in my house. I said, maybe I'll let you in. Maybe not. We'll see what happens. And uh, anyhow, I'll let you over, sweetheart, because there's no marriage in heaven. So, but I'll still hang out with you. So it'll be good. Amen? 
I'm, I'm, that, I'm that way. That's how kind of guy I am. <laughs> right, Tone? <laughs> now, I'll be lucky if I let she lets me hang around her. That's how it really works. Amen, Brother Ronald? Thank you. But the fact of the matter is, he came to Christ, my friend. And listen, don't ever beat yourself. Oh, I wish I knew this when I was younger. Listen, the fact that you know it now is a blessing. <laughs> the fact that you found Christ is what you need to concentrate on. And so he comes to Christ at night there, and, and we see, it goes on from here. Now, again, Nicodemus goes on with this introduction. And I, when I first read this years ago as a young, young man, I noticed that Christ doesn't address anything that Nicodemus has to say. It's almost like he avoids everything. And he, you're a teacher come from God. You do these miracles, and, and we, we know the, all these things. And I'm telling you, 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 you're not going to go to heaven unless you've been born again. Where'd that come from? Because, my friend, Christ who knows the heart of men knows what's going on in the heart of men. And so he jumps right to the issue, like the woman at the well. Give me water to drink. Who are you? How is it you, a Jew, has dealings with me, a Samaritan? If you knew who I was, you'd ask for living water. Living water. He's the master. The master knows how to converse with people. Don't memorize a speech and try to use it on everybody. You have to take everybody. Just memorize Bible and then ask the Spirit of God to help you in your dealing with people. We know you're this. You must be born again, Nicodemus. And he uses the word verily, verily. Verily, verily is a, is a phrase that's found only in John's gospel. And it's really, it's, a, it's the word amen. So Christ is saying amen and amen. In preaching sometimes people, at the, when I, a preacher will say something, somebody yell out amen after the saying is done. And the word amen simply means so be it or I agree. When the Lord Jesus Christ puts the amen, amen, or verily, verily in front of the sentence, when the sentence begins with that, what is he saying? He says, Here, I'm going to give you a truth that's indisputable. You cannot argue with what I'm about to say. What I'm about to tell you is a truth that you cannot debate. It's a truth that you have to deal with. And so when he says to Nicodemus, verily, verily, Nicodemus as an intelligent man, an educated man, understands that something very important is about to follow that he needs to pay attention to. It's like in class when the teacher says, now pay attention to this because this might be on the test. That's a clue for you to wake up. This might be on the test. I, I should write this down now. And, or unless you're like me, it's like, yeah, hey, whatever. And you just kind of, is it 315 yet? Have we time to get out of this place yet? And so you, you pay attention because this just might be important. When your mom and dad says, now pay attention, this is important, that's where you stop and, and put down the phone and, and stop texting and, and listen to what they got to say because something important is coming. Verily, verily means something very important is coming. He's telling you, and, and what do you have those two? And he tells him this phrase, except the man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, he says this for a reason to Nicodemus. He doesn't use this phrase on the woman at the well because the woman at the well doesn't need this phrase. The phraseology to the person is what's important because Nicodemus, go back to who he was and who he is. He's a ruler of the Jews and he's a Pharisee. And what is Nicodemus banking his salvation on but his righteousness, his good deeds, his works, and everything that he does as a Pharisee? 
I don't eat improper things. I obey all the, the Sabbath rules. I'm home at the proper time on, on Friday evening and, and make sure I observe the Sabbath. I do all of those things. I, I'm observing all the rules and, and doing all those things. I make sure I'm tithing everything and, 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 and I, I, I follow everything. And surely if I follow everything and if I pay attention to all the details, I, I will uh, obtain salvation with God. And the fact that I'm a good man and I'm in my community and I'm, I'm, I'm with the, the Sanhedrin and I'm a good judge and I'm a fair judge and I'm an honest judge and I'm judging as God and, and surely God will look upon me and see all my good things and all my good deeds and God will say, yeah, you can come to heaven because you've been really good. But that's not how you get to heaven. And that's what Nicodemus needs to learn. And so Christ brings to him the idea of the new birth. Except you be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Not only can you not get a glimpse, you're not going to see it. It's not like, hey, there it is in the distance. People ask me all the time, what's it like to live in Kearney? You see New York all the time. And it's like, eh. And people spend thousands of dollars to come here to go to that city. I'm like, why? Like, why? Why? I don't get it. You want to get mugged, robbed, stabbed? What, 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 why? Ride a dirty subway? And, and what, Why? But we've had people travel from Europe, and they come to church here because they want to go to New York City. And they, well, there it is. It's an island. Can you take us there? It's an island. If you hit water, turn around and go the other way. You, you can't go too far in that thing. It's an island. And, it's, uh, and I've never been impressed with the thing, never enjoyed it, but it's, it's pretty to look at from here, and I, I will say this, it's probably one of the prettiest cities at night to look at, it's very impressive, but, but when you get in the cities, it, it's just a smelly, stinky place, that's my, that's my opinion, and it's not getting any better. Now why am I saying that? Well, my friend, I can see New York from my, this, this town every day, but when you... If you don't have Christ, you've never been born again, you're not going to see. The, there it is, but I, I wish I could get it, but I'm not going to see No, you're not going to even see it. Except if you be born again, you're not going to see it. Now, the Lord uses this phrase twice. He uses it in verse number 3, and he uses it in verse number 7. He says, Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. But if we notice verse number 3, he knows the phraseology here. He says, except a man be born again. That word except simply means there's no exceptions. This is the only way. There's no exceptions. You don't get here because of some other way. And, you know, some skirt around into uh, how you can do this. No, this, this is the only way. This is the only path. And, and the only way you're going to get there. And he used that phrase, you must be born again. And before we explain that first, even further, we notice in verse number 7 where he says, ye must be born again. I want you to notice that word ye. Except a man, verse number 7. Again, ye, ye, ye must. Ye. First word, ye. Ye. Now first, what's that mean, ye? Well, ye simply means you. People say, I have trouble with that King James language. Ye means you. That's complicated. Whew, I'm worn out just trying to explain that, what that means. That's, that's, that's a tough one. Well, who does that mean? Well, my, my friend, ye or you means you. It's you. You read this book, you read that verse, you know what you get from that? That means me. It means me. He says, again, the implication is that Jesus is speaking about the kingdom of God. And in reference, it's not just talking to Nicodemus. He's talking to anybody who's going to read this chapter. Remember, Jesus knows this is going to go into book form. 
And he knows for the next 2,000 years, mankind's going to be reading this book. And he knows that when men read this, it's going to apply to them. Ye, every single one of you, must be born again. And that word must, ye must. Again, this word doesn't need an explanation. Must mean must. You have to do this. You have to, if a teacher says you have to pass this, this class in order to graduate, well, guess what? You have to pass that class in order to graduate. There's no exceptions. And so I've got to take this class serious. If I'm going to gain heaven, Jesus said, I must. There's no exceptions to this rule. Well, you don't understand. I, I, I'm a good... No, you must. And he says, be born again. And my friend, the new birth or regeneration is an act of God which, he, which imparts eternal life to the believing sinner. I want you to take your Bible. Keep your finger here in John. But look at me at 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. And I want to give you a, a, show you something here on, on, on what God wants us to know. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. The Apostle Paul is addressing the church in the city of Corinth. And he's trying to encourage them as they grow in their faith. And he says in verse number 3 of chapter number 11. Now again, he's, trying to, he's warning them about false teachers. False teachers. And what do false teachers always do? They complicate salvation. They muddy the water. A year ago in March, we had the joy of going out west. We visited a lot of the valleys that are out there. And the one place I've wanted to go to my entire life since I, was, I first saw a western was Monument Valley. Uh, I'm dying to go there. And, and, and if I dropped dead in Monument Valley last March, I, my, I, my life would be happy. I mean, I've, I'm grandchildren, I've got kids, they're married, and I'm married. And, and I, bury me in Monument Valley. I, I, I want to go back again. But as we're riding through, we had our tour guide, and he, he pulled over and said, he goes, give me your phones. I'm going to take some pictures. And there was a large pool of water. And, uh, but a car was coming. And so we pulled over, and the car came, and the car drove through the puddle of water. And I didn't know what was going on, what our tour guide was doing, but he's like, <sighs> he got all aggravated. He was just, just wait a minute. Because that pool of water got muddied and stirred. And, and so we sat there for five minutes till the water calmed down and the dirt calmed down. Then he took a picture of just below, just above the water with the mountains in the background and, the, and all that. And, and so you got the reflection of the of the mountains in the water. And it was an absolutely beautiful photograph. I have that photograph on my phone. And I know you all want to see it, so let me know and I'll text it to you. I'll be dying to see that. I know that. But it had to be clear. We had to wait for the water to calm down so it would be a nice, clear, beautiful picture of the water perfectly still like glass. My friend, the problem is with, with salvation, people come in and they, they muddy up the water and so you can't see and, it's, and, it, and it messes it up. And they tell you, you got to do this, and you got to do this, and they add this, and they throw this in there, instead of it just being a crystal clear, simple thing. And so he's warning about false teachers. And he says in verse 3, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the what? Simplicity that is in Christ. Can I encourage you that the gospel of Jesus Christ is simple. It is not a complicated thing. 
When I was in high school, I said, you know what, I need to advance myself. I need to, I need to push myself. So I took introduction to geometry and introduction to algebra. And I'm like, this was the stupidest thing I've ever done in my life as I got halfway through that class trying to figure out how numbers and letters go together. And, and uh, I'm thankful I was there with the kid next to me. I was able to help him out the entire semester. Amen. But I'm like, this is, this is difficult. This is not what I do. But I pushed myself to learn introduction to geometry, introduction to algebra, because I, 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 I need to advance. I can't be taking art classes and learn how to make God's eyes. I need to, I need to and, and do tie-dye t-shirts. I'm not a Grateful Dead fan, so I, I need to learn how to do something here to advance my life. I don't need simple things. I need to, something a little harder. Well, my friend, the gospel of Jesus Christ is 2 plus 2 equals... Four. That's still that way. I know they're telling us it's racist and bad today, but that's still two and two is four. That's how the world operates, okay? That's how we all operate. The simplicity that is in Christ. Satan comes along and he beguiled Eve and he, and he complicates things. The gospel is simple. And so when we get back to John's gospel, we read that phrase born again and we're like, what in the world? This is, it's getting complex now. It's, no, it's not. My friend, understand something. He's talking to Nicodemus. What's Nicodemus' problem? He's religious and he thinks his good things, his good deeds, he can do something to make his way into heaven. Christ uses this phrase on Nicodemus, and it's the only time he ever uses this phrase, which doesn't mean it's not, it's a, we don't need it, because it's a truth. We'll see it later on in Scripture. Peter uses this phrase, and we need this new birth. We need this regeneration. But Nicodemus needs it because Nicodemus doesn't understand it. Nicodemus, what do you mean to be born again? Can an old man go back into his mother's womb? He's thinking physically. No, Jesus, this is a spiritual birth. Now think about your physical birth. None of us had anything to do with it. You had nothing to do with your physical birth. Not a thing. You were conceived. You hung around for nine months. Life was good. And next thing you know, whoosh, here you are. My father dropped my mother off at the hospital right behind us. She, he said, Marie, let me know when you're done. And he went home and took care of my older brothers and sisters. And my mom had me. And uh, I was a month early. I was supposed to be born in February. But I, I got here in January. I had a lot to get done. I, I wanted to get a head start. So I'm here. I got here on the job. And, uh, but I wanted to, I had nothing to do with it. I had nothing to do with my birth. When it comes to salvation, my friend, you have nothing to do with your salvation. Jesus Christ paid for it all. He died on Calvary's cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. He accomplished that which we could not. He finished the job. So when we think about salvation and, and this birth process, and again, Thank God for women and, and, and giving birth to children. It's a painful process. I watched my wife four times give, give birth to those children and, and four times in pain and struggle. And, and then the joy on her face when the child was born. And, and we rejoiced the child. The first one I said, she actually, Maddie was difficult. And uh, Maddie was 9'5". And uh, we weren't prepared for that. And uh, at least my wife wasn't. And, uh, and she gave birth. She's holding her. I said, let's have a second one. This hand came and grabbed my throat. And I'm like, what? Maybe we'll wait. And so, but, <laughs> but she didn't find, see the humor in my statement. 
Sometimes I have to learn when the appropriate time to pray for me about that because sometimes these things come out at the wrong time. Like, oh, no. That would be funny a week from now, but right now I'm, I'm on death row. So he says to Nicodemus, you must be, because Nicodemus has to realize, Nicodemus, salvation is not something you can do. It's not something you can earn. It's not something you can purchase. It's not something you can attain by your good deeds. Salvation, according to the Bible, is a free gift from Almighty God because God has paid for it. God has purchased it. Now, there's a lot to go on in this story. And the Bible uses the... And, and, and to help Nicodemus, he uses an Old Testament illustration. Now, why does he use an Old Testament illustration on Nicodemus? Because Nicodemus is a scholar of the Old Testament. He knows his Bible. So if all Christ has to do is mention an Old Testament reference, and he immediately knows what he's talking about. He didn't use that with the woman at the well because, again, she's not that scholarly, and she doesn't know all these things, and he has to deal with her in a different light. Again, you deal with people where they are, and you always deal with people, by the way, where you find them. I'm glad Jesus dealt with me where he found me, and he dealt with you where he found you. And so he's dealing with Nicodemus on this intellectual level, but very simple analogies. You can't get simpler than a birth. You have to have a birth process. And, and yet this intelligent man misses it. What do, you, what do you mean? You have nothing to do with your human birth. You can't have anything to do with your physical birth. Thus the need for you to, to need me. And he talks here, and again, we're not going to get into this entire chapter, but I want to point out one reference that he makes here in this chapter where he talks about in verse number uh, 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The Old Testament reference goes back to Moses when the children of Israel are, are in, the, in the wilderness. And we can find this story uh, in, 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 in the law where the children of Israel were complaining and they were murmuring against God. And so uh, poisonous serpents come into the camp. And they begin to bite people. And people start dying from these poison snake bites. And they repent and they ask Moses for help. And they're sorry as they lay there dying. Now, I've never been bitten by a snake. I mentioned Bob is here this morning. Bob remembers. Down where LA Fitness is. Right, Bob? It's not, I have one guy say, I go, he goes, I go to the gym. I said, what do you mean go to? He goes, I go to La Fitness. I'm like, oh, okay, so... So I always say love fitness. <laughs> it's in my head now. So, but you go down to LA Fitness, there used to be a store down there called Two Guys. And so I'll throw Bob under the bus with me. We went in there one day with the sole purpose to steal something. And so we walked in there. We're sixth grade. We're going to steal something. And so what do I steal? I steal a snake bite kit. I kept that thing for years. I don't know whatever happened to it. Probably did. I had it for years as a little plastic thing and inside was a, a knife so you could like cut the incision and suck the poison out like they do on TV because you know Carney has a serious poisonous snake problem and, you, and so you had to st- <laughs> you just had to have it, just, it looks cool in your pocket I got a snake bike and, along with a few other things in those pockets but that we had that we carried around for no earthly reason but we I don't know what Bob stole you can ask him at the church but probably Bob being the honest and good man that he was probably didn't do anything like that and so if you talk to him later on, please wear your sunglasses because his halo may blind you. Now, but I, on the other hand, I stole a snake bite kit because we hung out down in the meadows and there were snakes down there. And 
And so just in case we grappled with those creatures, in case Bob got bit on the ankle, I can save Bob's life and, and, and rescue him there with that suction cup thing and poison, poison out there and just a little piece of my life there, amen? Now, the children of Israel are poisoned, they are dying, and they don't have a snake bite kit from two guys on them to rescue them. So they go to Moses. Moses, help us. God tells Moses, take some brass and make a serpent out of it and attach it to a brass pole. Hold the brass serpent up and whoever looks upon the brass serpent who's been bitten by the snake will be healed and they won't die of the poison. By the way, that's where the medical symbol comes from. They got that from, don't tell the liberals that. They'll, next thing you know, they'll, they'll, they'll be banning it because it's religious and belongs to the Bible. But that symbol that they have on the side of the ambulance was a snake on a pole is, goes to the Bible. And so the children of Israel look at that brass serpent, and if they believe, just simply looking at that brass serpent, they can be healed of their snake bite. The simplicity of the brass serpent. Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, I understand that. I understand that concept. That it's so simple. It's so simple that a man just has to look at a brass serpent and he's healed. Now, how is that possible, preacher? Because God said do it. That's why. Because God said do it. Just like God told Naaman the Syrian. You got leprosy? Go dip yourself seven times in the Jordan River, and when you come up after the seventh time, you'll be cleared of leprosy. How does that heal you? God said do it. It works. That's how it works. God said look at a brass serpent, you'll be healed. By the way, there's nobody there saying, I'd like to look at the brass serpent, but I can't because I'm not picked out or predestined to look at the brass serpent, so I can't look. <laughs> so he uses the analogy here. As Moses lifted the serpent, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Just as we have nothing to do with the birth process, but where's our part come in? Well, he uses the, our part when he talks about the word believe. Verse 15, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 16, the Famous John 3.16. Notice in the middle of the verse, Whosoever believeth. How do I get this salvation? Nicodemus, how do I get this? I have to be born again? What do you mean? Well, again, you have to believe on what I've done. It's the simplicity of the gospel. It's not complex. It's not do this, do this, do that. And maybe you have it. No, it's Jesus Christ died. He, he was crucified for our sins. He's our sin bearer. We're guilty. We don't deserve anything, but he bore our punishment on Calvary's cross. He solely and only paid the price. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And if we believe in that and accept that as, as, a, as the payment for our sin and believe what he says about it, God grants eternal life. The simplicity of the gospel. So Nicodemus is, 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 is standing there and he's, He's trying to grasp this simple truth that has been placed on his lap. This highly intelligent man is now presented with this, this kindergarten ideology, almost. Just do this. Again, when you believe upon Christ, when you believe and only upon Christ, when you recognize that you're a sinner and you've done nothing to merit God's goodness or favor, that you are exempt from it, but you can obtain it simply by believing that Christ paid the price. God 
then bestows upon the believing sinner his righteousness. God gives you that righteousness. There are, there's the doctrine of imputation in the Bible. And there are three great imputations in the Bible. Imputation means to put on somebody else's account. It's a, it's a mathematical and, and banking terminology. First of all, we had the first imputation where, where Adam sinned. And what happened when Adam sinned? Adam's sin passed upon all mankind. The imputation of Adam was placed upon mankind. Thus, all men have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then, the second great imputation in the Bible is where when Christ hangs on Calvary's cross, God takes the sins of the world and imputes them upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ becomes our sin bearer. And he pays the sin debt. So that's the second great imputation. Well, we say, what's the third one? The third great imputation depends upon you. That you will believe on the gospel. And when we believe the gospel and accept Christ, God takes the righteousness of Christ and imputes it onto our account and makes us righteous simply because we have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no doing. There is no working. There is no striving. The thief on the cross could not obtain salvation. He was dying, but he merely believed, and Christ granted him eternal life because he said, Lord, remember me when thou comest to thy kingdom. Today you'll be with me in paradise. There's no church membership. There's no working. There's no deeds. There's no uh, rituals. There's no philanthropical uh, uh, works he has to do or payments and, and, and money donated. No, it's all... I'm a sinner. Christ paid for it. And so Nicodemus did not deny the doctrine of the new birth, but he, he merely st stated that he had difficulty comprehending it. Again, Nicodemus was a literalist. And nothing wrong with being a literalist, but again, salvation, my friend, in the sense we do take it literal, in the sense that we must be born again as a spiritual birth. And Christ, in dealing with him and teaching him, provoked thought and got him to realize, again, I'm helpless to do anything on this part. God has to do it all. And what all that's required of me that we find all throughout this chapter is that a man believe what God has done. Belief is what gives man that gift. Belief in Christ. Look, if you will, we'll close with this in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, he says in verse number 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel. And the word gospel means what? Good news. Gospel means good news. I turn on the TV at night, I don't get a lot of gospel, amen? I usually watch it for five minutes, I turn it off, I can't handle the news. It aggravates me. Gospel means good news. Well, what's the good news? The death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach unto you, which ye also receive, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preach unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also preach, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And that, my friend, is the gospel. It's the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul has declared this gospel unto the Corinthian people, and they believed what Paul said. And he warns them, uh, you, you believed in this. 
You believed. Again, that's salvation, my friend, is believing. Not doing, believing. You believe. With your heart, man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. That whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So it's the message to Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you need to understand, you've got all this good deeds you're holding up. And yet, it's not how it works. I've paid it all. And my friend, we, we trust in Christ and Christ alone for salvation. Nothing we do can merit any favor with God because we have no righteousness of our own. Nothing of our own. We, I don't clue. Listen, we've all been to a restaurant. You ever have somebody, ever have somebody pay a meal for you? You didn't know about it? You were checking out somebody? The bill's been paid. I'm like, What? Brother Pedro, you don't remember this, Brother Pedro. One time we were in Top's Diner. Somebody was in there, and you said, they, they, they took care of the bill, Pastor. I'm like, they did? Who was it? He said, I don't, it was, they don't want you to know. I'm like, man, alive. If I'd known this, I would have got a steak. And uh, this just aggravates me, but that's a blessing, amen? I didn't have to do anything. Somebody paid the bill. I'm like, is it too late to throw some dessert on there? The kids are going to get some cheesecake for the kids around here. But I didn't have to do anything. I just walked out of top. I said, how about the tip? Now, the tip's on there, too. Well, this is good. This is all right. Somebody paid it for me. I like that. And sometimes I've paid. I saw a veteran one time, an old guy in, a, in an IHOP years ago. I said, give me his bill. I want to pay for that guy's bill. And by the way, I don't put it on Facebook. I pay for so-and-so's meal. Let's just, just keep it to yourselves. Every now and then you, you see something, you, let me take care of that for somebody. We were kids. Somebody, we were always a nickel short, and somebody said, I'll take care of it. I see a kid a dollar short. How much is, he, how much is the kid missing? He needs a dollar. Give the kid an ice cream cone. Here's the dollar. Amen? Now, of course, I don't have anything left, but I don't need an ice cream cone anyway. So understand, you accept it because it's been paid for. That's salvation. A gift that's been paid for, and all that's required of God is God says, do you believe me? Do you believe the serpent? Yes, you won't die of a snake bite. You're a sinner dying of sin, going to hell. Christ has been lifted up on Calvary's cross. If you look upon him and believe he, he died for you, your sin will be eradicated. How does that work? I don't know. All I know is God says it works. And there you go. It works. I don't need to know how I, a hamburger works. I need to know about the process of, of the cow out in Wisconsin who was slaughtered and the slaughtering process and the truck driver's life story who brought it to New Jersey and the, and the fry cook. I, can I have a hamburger? Here you go. Thank you. And I eat it. I'm not wondering. I wonder who the guy was who, who, uh, who unloaded the truck and gave I, don't, I got my hamburger. Amen. Jesus paid for my salvation. I wonder how that works. How does, how does believing wash away my sin? I, I, I don't know. I just know it does, because God says it does. Let's stand together for prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for Christ who died on Calvary's cross to pay for our sins. Now, Lord, we come to you asking for your help, that we understand the simplicity that's found in Christ, the simplicity of the gospel. May we embrace it with wondrous joy knowing that we've done nothing except believe and it's been given to us. And I say, whosoever, salvation. Thank you, Lord, for 
this wonderful gift you've given to mankind. Bless the hour now and bless this time of invitation, we pray in Jesus' name.